great. Yeah, lots of reasons for joy today. <sighs> Father God, thank you so much for Gordy. Thank you for just his grateful heart and um, that he counts it such a privilege to be a part of this church. Thank you that um, for everything that you've spoken to him during his preparation today for this message for him and for Peter who will be sharing a little bit later. Thank you for what you've spoken to them. I just pray right now that you would bless Gordy and that you would bless Peter, that you would quiet both of their minds and their hearts, that they would be able to hear clearly from you. Father, I ask for those of us here listening, would you give us attentive, sensitive hearts and minds? Father, we just ask for the space right now that you would just cleanse and seal and bless and prepare this space, that it's a safe place for sharing. And Father, we thank you so much for what you've been doing amongst us by your Holy Spirit, that we've been aware of you giving us gifts to give each other. Father, I pray that you would cause each one of us, as we're listening, to be attentive, to know not only what you would speak to us, but what you might have for us to speak to somebody else, or share with somebody else, or simply hold somebody else in prayer. Lord, that we would be aware that this isn't about us coming together to just get filled only for us, but for each other, ministering to each other in love. So bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Joanna. Well, good morning again. For those of you that are joining us today, we began a week ago our summer series on the seven deadly sins. And today's topic is lust. What a great way to start the summer. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, as we announced, Peter and I are team teaching, and Peter and I met this week and prayed, and as I listened to Peter's heart and kind of what his expressed desires were after he went over the material and we, we, we talked about it, uh, we kind of mutually agreed that the best way was for me to share for about 25, 30 minutes, and then he's going to just share a little bit out of, out of story. So that's kind of how we do that. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll segue to ministry time. So in, in an over-sexualized society, sometimes there's a protestation that, what, isn't there at least one place in the world where I don't have to hear about sex? You know, can't I uh, come to church and, and, and have a break? And, um, and, uh, and, and, and it, it, it is an issue. And, and while lust is certainly broader than sexual, the traditional definition of, of lust in the context of the seven deadly sins is definitely dealing with our sexuality. So yes, we're going to have to deal with it a little bit today. But my, my hopes are that in, a, in a, attempting in 30 minutes to deal with such a broad um, topic... And it is. It's a very massive, multi-nuanced, uh, so many different approaches we could take to it. I felt that the best thing to do is what I'm actually asking all the summer teachers to do as we, we, we tackle each of the, the seven capital vices or deadly sins as they're more commonly known, is to use the framework that we introduced the series with last week. 
And that was, there were three, three uh, categories that we want to approach the, uh, the, the seven deadly sins from. First of all, from the approach of pathology. We talked about how that pathology is a very critical and important part of medicine. And it can seem a little bit morbid because you seem preoccupied with illness and sickness, but true pathologists are critical to the health uh, profession because they study disease with a view towards health, with a view towards prevention, with a view towards cure, with a view towards fighting it. And so we, we, our approach to the seven deadly sins is one of spiritual pathology, is that we are looking at sin and we're gathering the wisdom of the church through the ages where they studied sin with a view to becoming like Christ. As Bernard of Clairvaux said, the greatest way to learn about humility is to understand the steps towards pride. So that's, that's kind of our approach. So it's actually quite positive. It sounds a little bit morbid, but we're actually, our focus is Christ-likeness. Our focus is becoming like Jesus. And it's no different today. How can studying about lust help us become more like Jesus? Woohoo! All right. So, so the first approach is is that of pathology. The second uh, approach, the framework that I want each of our teachers to pursue their particular vice in, not their vice, but the one they're they're teaching on, is how does sin, how does sin pursue a good apart from God? We talked about how that all sin is actually pursuing a good, like, like a bunch of children who get a, a plate of cookies put in front of them and they all dive into a very good thing, but there's another good that gets forgotten and that is fairness to the, the person next to them. And those children are usually 25, 30, 40 years old, aren't they? <laughs> and uh, so, so what is the good that, in, in, in today's topic, what is the good that lust seeks to attain? And lastly, the judo principle. How can we use the power of lust, which is a very powerful force that even the Apostle Paul said he, he was no match for, how do we use the strength of lust to our advantage? Using the strength of our foe to defeat our foe. So let's deal with those three things. Pathology, how does it pursue a good apart from God, and, and what is God's way? Remember we said that sin is, is the vice is, is too much of a good thing at the wrong time, in the wrong way, at the expense of other goods. Well, let's, let's listen to James. He talks about the pathology of lust in his, his letter. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? There was a whole period of church history where they adopted Platonic thought where they tried to negate desire. They thought the way you deal with bad desires is you just get rid of it. And uh, how many know that's not a lot of fun? Verse 2, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. So notice here, and we'll talk about this through the series, how the vices are all interconnected. There's murder and hatred. You covet but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend them on your pleasures. The pathology of lust. What does it look like? Well, many of you know that one of my favorite things in the week is 
I take usually my Sabbath and I head off and get lost somewhere in the North Shore. And nobody can find me and sometimes I can't find myself. And um, the trails of the North Shore are wonderful. The wilderness of the North Shore is wonderful. It's one of the reasons I'm still in Vancouver. Uh, It saved my life many, many times after a burnt out week when I need to be replenished. And signs like this are very common all over the North Shore. Danger! As I enter into this most beautiful park like Lynn Canyon. Danger! Many have died. Do you dare take one more step? No, they don't say that. But, but all, it feels like that, doesn't it? All users of Lynn Canyon Park are urged to use extreme caution. The canyon and river are extremely dangerous and have claimed many lives. Please stay on the trail and within the fenced areas. Thank you. And so the the thing I I was thinking about is that I've never allowed those signs to stop me. I've I've entered boldly into into the park and enjoyed its beauty. And after a couple hours, I come out and I'm a new person. I give the trees my carbon dioxide. They give me their oxygen. We have a wonderful symbiotic relationship. I hug one, kiss them, and say goodbye. I shared that one time at a pastor's conference and somebody bellowed out, a West Coast pastor! (laughs) Yeah. So, and and you know, when you go up to Lynn Headwaters, you see similar signs. They say, does somebody know where you're going? Um, You know, have you thought of hiking with a buddy? Uh, Do you have food? Do you have water? What kind of footwear do you have? Right? Do you know what time of the day it is? (laughs) Right? You know, duh. And and so all of these signs are there because, is it because they're trying to rob you of fun? No, they want you to have fun, but they recognize that there's parameters to that fun. And And they're also thinking of the millions of dollars they have spent in search and rescue. And I thought, boy, there's a real pastoral parallel to all this somewhere, isn't there? The lie of lust is that somehow, why have so many people died in Lynn Canyon? It's because they somehow believed that they have to go beyond the fence in order to have fun, in order to have pleasure, in order to enjoy, right? So that's one very iconic symbol of lust from our neighborhood that I'd like to share. I'd like to share... Another iconic symbol of lust that's kind of related to the lie that God can't be trusted, particularly with the area of our sexuality. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And probably in the area of sexuality, the church is most at odds with the culture than any other issue today. But to draw on another icon in our culture, Casa Gelato. Sign's a little bit old. It's now 218 flavors. How many know it's tormenting to walk in there? It's tormenting. Because you have to say no to 217 flavors. Right? Now, how many of you are sample people? You walk in, you know, you sample. Okay, I'll try that one. I'll try wasabi. Uh, you know, I'll try, I'll try this. And you know, how many after six, six or seven samples, some guy that looks like he has connections looks at you and you realize you better stop your samples, right? 
And, and the, the challenge is you have to make a decision. And so it's, it's having to make a decision, but then having to live with your decision. How many, it's one thing to make a decision, another thing to live with it, right? And you look at the, you know, what your wife ordered or your, your kid or your friend. And you, I saw, I was looking at their website and there's these kids that have ice cream cones and they have about six or seven flavors piled on it, you know. But there's still another 205 that you didn't get, right? So part of... Part of the whole understanding of lust is there's a maturity of making decisions and living with those choices and recognizing that within the boundaries of those decisions, joy and fulfillment can be found. I, I mentioned earlier that I often pray every morning a thankful prayer like David prayed, Lord, the, lines of, the boundary lines have fallen for me in such pleasant places. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my extended family, my vineyard family. I start thinking of where the boundary lines have fallen for me. I think of, I thank him for my body. I know, I know that's a stretch. But, but you see, my body is the only thing that I have to give back to God and to love you with. It's with my body that I hug you that I smile at you, that I listen to you, that I can speak to you. God has given our bodies as a gift to love. Right? And see, the boundary lines for sexuality, of course, and we all know this, the sexual act is, is reserved for a man and a woman who made a covenant with each other for life. It's an act of covenant, the sexual act. For Jewish people, marriage was consummated in the sexual act. And the sexual act, among many other things, is renewing the covenant between a man and a woman. It is using your body to become one with another person in the most intimate act known to humanity. With your body, through sex, you are saying, I am yours and you're mine. And there's, it's an act of abandonment to each other. And there's an exclusivity about it. And that's why promiscuity is so confusing, because... You're saying with your body what you don't mean with your heart, right? But lust says, oh, you can't trust with God. You're going to live your life sexually frustrated, lonely, and disconnected if you're single. And if you're married, you're stuck to that one ice cream cone. <laughs> right? Still taste very good. But actually, lust can't be trusted, can it? Lust is the lie. The lesson of Don Juan was that lust gives all kinds of promises but can't deliver and won't deliver. In fact, the more you try to satisfy lust, the greater the desire becomes, the stronger becomes, and it's not static. It becomes stronger and stronger, and, and it ends up becoming satanic. Lust is structural. Lust is systemic in our world and society with sex traffic and the Willie Picton story and, and, and the incest and the rampant abuse that's going on in our culture. The multi-billion dollar porn industry that's more than the NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball all combined. I'll tell you, guys like baseball. But the porn industry produces far more profits than all those uh, major leagues combined. 
Now let me give you an example of how lust doesn't satisfy. The first royal scandal that I'd like to talk about is a guy named Ammon, who was the son of David, who fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. She was the beautiful sister, and the Bible goes out of its way to say she was the beautiful sister of Absalom, the son of David. And Ammon was so in love with her that he literally became physically ill. He was lovesick, you would say. And Tamar was a princess, a virgin reserved for a royal wedding, and she was out of bounds for Ammon. She was unavailable. It was impossible. It actually uses those words in the text for Ammon to have her. So he had this conniving friend who got him to fake being even more sick so that David the king came and visited Ammon. And Ammon convinced David that the only thing that was going to make him feel better was Tamar's killer waffles that she loved to make. So David consented, and Tamar came over and cooked him a nice meal. And during the process, he caught her alone, and he grabbed her, and he begged her to sleep with him. And when she refused, he forced her, raped her. And then this is where the lie of lust becomes the starkest and the most evil. It says, Scripture says this, and you'll find this all in 2 Samuel 13. It says that he then hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her, and he told her to get out. And when she protested, he threw her out and bolted the door, and she went out humiliated and ashamed, violated. And she had to to remain a widow for the rest of her lives in the, the customs of that day. The story ends a year later when Absalom connived to have have Ammon killed in cold blood, and it spawned a civil war, a bloody civil war. It's not the first time a war has been started by lust, as James said. But did you know this whole chain of events started actually earlier with an earlier royal scandal? Ammon's father, David. A few chapters earlier, 2 Samuel 11 tells us it was the time when the kings go to war. And I don't know what was going on. I think David was suffering a midlife crisis. Because he, he must have been about 50 years old. He'd already killed Goliath and many other Philistine giants and was a great great warrior and had proved himself he'd plateaued he'd climbed many mountains I don't know maybe he was starting to feel a little perplexed because his his washboard stomach was starting to look like a clothes hamper you know he still looked pretty good when he looked in the mirror but things were starting to sag a little bit you know he's trying to get rid of that double chin and and there's nothing wrong, by the way, with staying in shape. But how many know it's a losing battle? And, uh, you know, I, it's tragic when 55-year-olds try to be really trendy. But I think, about, I think about Madonna when she was doing that dance at the Super Bowl half, halftime show a couple of years ago. She was over 50 when she tried in stilettos on these bleachers. Oh, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> You know, there's something about lust, I think, where we accept death. We accept our mortality. We accept the fact we're getting older. We're human. We're mortal. Whatever it was, often people try to somehow keep their youth or prove somehow they're still young. 
Whether that's what was happening with David, I don't know. But the Bible tells us he saw a woman bathing, and again, Scripture notes that she was very beautiful. And he asked who she is, and he finds out through a process of investigation she wasn't available. She wasn't his. She was married. But that doesn't stop him after all. He's the king, right? I can do what I want. Money, sex, power. They all kind of work together. He ends up calling for her, having sex with her, and Bathsheba gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up, but ends up having to murder her husband by putting him on the front lines in the battle, which spawns the whole horrific series of events, including Ammon, which happened a little while later. God forgave David, but what a mess. It made the Kardashians look like a Sunday school class. Here's the kicker. Get this. Who was Bathsheba? Well, she was Uriah's wife. Well, you know who Uriah was? He was a member of David's elite royal guard. Okay? You get that? Secondly, she was Iliam's daughter. Do you know who Iliam was? He was David's personal bodyguard. Do you, and finally, she was Ahithophel's granddaughter. Do you know who Ahithophel was? He was David's most trusted elder and advisor. You talk, it's not like she was some disconnected, not that it matters, but she was connected. You talk about a violation of trust, a betrayal of trust. That's what lust does. Lust is a betrayal of trust and it makes you unsafe to the people who love you the most. It makes you unsafe to those who love you the most. There's a direct connection between purity and being a safe person. Direct connection. So the good that lust... What is the good? So that's the pathology of lust. How many think I covered it? Did I cover it? The good that lust seeks is a sexual pleasure, which is very good. God created sexual pleasure and sexual desire. It called it good. The erotic love story, Song of Solomon, is right in the middle of the Bible for a reason. It's when the preacher gets boring. You can open your Bible and stay awake. Church. <laughs> History. I love doing weddings. It's one of the favorite things I do. There's people all over this room that are the victims of my weddings. I love doing weddings. History began and will end with a wedding. Jesus' first miracle, he chose to do at a wedding. But what lust lies and says is that to obtain sexual pleasure, which is a good in itself, do it outside of God's way. But there's so much going on in the area of lust than the physical sex when it comes to lust and that's this. At the deepest level, we are seeking love, belonging, connection, affection, passion. We all need to be hugged. We all need to be embraced. We all need to be part of a family where we belong, where we can let our hair hang down, if you have any, and just be yourself and know that you're loved, warts and all. We were born for that. We all need to be kissed. God made you to be kissed, to be loved, to be cherished, right? And that is the good that lust tries to find a shortcut for. 
Because in order to obtain that good, we have to go the way that Jesus talked about in our second reading. The way of the cross. The way of denying ourselves and following Him. So love is the alternative to lust, to obtaining that good. There's two schools of thought in psychology. There's a guy named Freud that says we're all motivated by a basic sexual lust, an instinct for all that we do. That was Freud. But one of his disciples came along and said, you're wrong. The fact of the matter is there's an alternative where uh, Eric Fromm, who said that we can be motivated by love. There's an alternative way to live than lust. That ultimate fulfilling or fulfillment that we try to gain through lust can come through living a life of love. Lust creates a desire to gain through sex with partners of our fantasies what can only be gained through loving self-giving. What we're looking for, pleasure, belonging, connection, and love can only be found through living a life of following the way of Jesus in love. So contrary to lust, love never fails. Right? Seeking the joy of others, setting aside the desire for our own gratification. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So here's, what Paul, here's the way Paul said it. Here's how Paul talks about the alternative. He told the Thessalonians, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. In other words, objectifying someone is, is out of the kingdom. It's just not the way to go. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. And I, I told you the way that I've reconciled with this language, because I don't see God as a vindictive, judgmental God. But I see that sin carries in itself its own judgment. Sin is an act of isolation, of fragmentation, of, of separation from the very life of God. So sin carries in itself its own seeds of judgment. And then he goes on to say, For God did not call us to be impure or to be unsafe people, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, work on it. Do it more and more. In other words, that sexual frustration that is part of the human condition, the way Paul says you deal with it, is you practice loving. You practice a lifestyle of loving. I think of some of these nice, relaxing vacations I have with my grandkids. <laughs> Right? Which we're going to be having in about a week's time. Right? Such a nice, mellow, kickback, relaxed time. Right? Well, 
You know, from from playing uh, water war games and 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 uh, volleyball and running around the, the 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 resort and splashing at the lake and and cooking and cleaning and you know and and we get to bed it's about uh, eleven o'clock at night the kids are quiet it's time for the adults to have a nice visit over a glass of wine it's so great <laughs> seriously I mean I. So much for our dial down at all time, right? And so much for any uh, holiday um, hanky panky, you know. Uh, um, so, but you know what? I'm laying there in bed. I'm just wasted. I'm sore. I always come home. I'm so sore. I got my neck is sore. My arms are sore. I can hardly move. But I'm so happy. I'm, I, I always tell people, how was your holiday? Well, I'm wasted, but I'm happy. <laughs> right? And, and, and I don't know how many times I've gone to sleep at night with that thought. I am so tired, but boy, am I happy. This, I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, it's fun being a grandparent. Fun. Yeah? But there is a cost to loving, isn't there? So, so the alternative... Um, or the good that lust seeks is the alternative way to, to approaching it is living a life of love. So how can we use the judo effect? Using the strength of lust to our advantage to cultivate love. The first thing I would say is that lust, wh- whatever that looks like, and I know men and women are wired differently and men are more kind of affected by the eyes and and, and all of that stuff. But we're all affected in various ways by this, that spirit of lust. That spirit that somehow if I had it somewhere else, somewhere different, I would be happier. Right? We're all affected. The first thing is allow it to, to help you tap into your deepest desires. Allow God to show you what your deepest longing is. I, I think probably the greatest example of this in Scripture was the woman at the well. Did that woman have a lust problem? Well, I don't know. But we do know that Jesus kind of noticed in passing that she'd had five sexual partners. But he doesn't really spend a lot of time on that. What does he do? He recognizes that she needed a drink of water. He recognizes that she was hungry for worship, to know the true God. Right? And he... And he, and he he focuses more on worship. I remember being in a room with Jackie Pollinger where she said, working with drug addicts in, in Hong Kong, she noticed, and, and the addicts were men and women, but she said that what she noticed is as she worked with the men, she found they were addicted to the drugs. As she worked with the women, they were addicted to the men. And that often that was an issue. So allow the power of lust to help you be self-aware of what your deepest longings and desire. Take the time to tap into that. Secondly, allow lust to drive you into a greater dependency on God. Allow the brokenness that lust creates, whatever that looks like in your life, and there is no condemnation here. This is a safe place where you can talk about your lust problem. 
I think there's appropriate ways and avenues and means, but our, our passion is that we be a safe community, as we said last week, where we can talk about our sin. And specific sin, not general, oh, I have a sin problem. But we get specific, because that specific addressing of a sin... My stubbornness, my independence, my pride. The drugs drove me to my knees. The drugs made me dependent on God. The drugs forced me to cry out to God for mercy. So allow the lust to drive you to your knees. Bring you into a dependency on God. Regardless of what that lust looks like and how it expresses itself in your life. And finally, let lust drive you from isolation into community. Let it drive you, not away. How many times has lust driven people from community? Because of shame, because of darkness. Paul said, or John said, if we walk in darkness, we don't have fellowship. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship. It doesn't say if we don't sin. It says if we walk in the light. Isn't that good news? Is that good news? Good news for me. So what does that mean? I think what it look, means I, is that you have two or three good friends you can call upon day or night when you're struggling with sin, with temptation, and you can get them to pray for you. As James said, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I have friends who've who, who, who have much larger churches and ministries, much higher profile than I do, who in the middle of their lives threw it all away through lust, left their wives, left their children. Fortunately, some of them have been restored back to ministry. The church has been faithful to restore them. But you know what has broke my heart as I've sat and talked with these friends of mine who now their life is, is, a, is in debris and, and, and wreckage because of sexual sin and lust? You know what broke my heart? Is he said, Gordy, when I was struggling, I didn't feel I could tell anybody. I've wanted to swear when I heard that. What the hell is the church supposed to be if it isn't a place where you can talk about your sin and your struggles and your temptations? My God. What are we? Some kind of whitewashed sepulcher, like Jesus said? Trying to keep up appearances? God help us. And so, and, and, and the, you know what the double-edged sword of that was? Is that when these guys, finally it came into the light about their sin, people were really hurt because they were living a double life. And they were actually more hurt because of the deception than they were because of the sexual sin. Now isn't that ironic? So... My God, help us to be... I think the thing that's helped me through the years is there's never been a time in my time here in Vancouver 
in my new life after my nervous breakdown when God restored my life. There's never been a time when I've struggled with sin and sexual temptation or lust that I haven't had a dear brother or dear friend that I've been able to go to and just tell him what's going on. And usually it's two or three at any given time. And just say, watch me, watch my back, pray for me. Can I call you? And they've been there. It saved my life. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. So intimacy, connection, and belonging can only be attained by the lifelong quest of seeking the joy of others through love, which provides the emotional fulfillment that lust offers but can never deliver. Peter, come and just uh, share a little bit, and then we'll go into some ministry. Um, I think Gordy has done a really great job of not um, just putting up a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Um, but even so, it, it can be easy to think if I can just, you know, keep this right perspective, if I can just um, have friends that I can confess to, uh, if I can just, you know, tap into that deeper desire that it'll all be okay. Um, and, and I know that growing up in the church, um, I was really fortunate to, to have a lot of solid teaching on lust and to, um, get a really good perspective on, you know, that this isn't, you know, that sex isn't a bad thing, but that it's important to be within the boundaries and that, um, this is, you know, that lust is a misdirected good and not just, you know, something bad that we have to kill and squash. Um, but even, even though I had all of sort of these tools and these perspectives and um, this sort of mental understanding, um, and, and even though I didn't have particularly... Um, traumatic experiences as a early teenager um, when uh, and and didn't even um, the and and through through being you know I, I was kind of um, sheltered and and I sheltered myself um, but but I found that in uh, as, as I started going to university, um, I, I suffered some pretty severe depression, um, and I, I don't really understand it, um, exactly what happened and exactly how, uh, to think about where God was in that, um, but I, I found myself even, even trying to keep all of these things in perspective, um, I found myself really unable to practice self-control um, and became uh, a pretty significant um, consumer of pornography. Um, and even even though I, I desperately wanted um, to to stop 
And, and even though I, I sort of tried, tried all these rules and, and, li- and, and sort of lists and mental frameworks and, and stuff, I, I really found um, Colossians um, 2, uh, 20 uh, and onward uh, true. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, I know that, as Gordy, Gordy says, it's only through love um, that, that we can have this profound sense of who we are um, that, that gives us a, a strength and a power to resist, uh, resist lust and resist pursuing a relationship through illicit means. Uh, I mean, I, I know that... Um, the Ministry of Living Waters, um, which we've many of you know, um, very much, you know that that's that's the wisdom that's out there. It says, you know, if if you have a lust problem, you you probably have a relational problem, like there that there's deep brokenness in your heart, and, and it's it's only by God's grace that. That he gives us the the strength and the the power and the the, the sense of fulfillment, um, and, and it's, I, I mean, I, we're we're going to enter into some ministry time, um, in which I'm going to um, ask and pray that God will give us fulfillment, that that He will be the the love that He will give us the love that that will will counteract this that that means that we're not subject we're, we're not enslaved to our lusts but that he will free us from our lusts um and um so i'm gonna go ahead and pray um if you want to put on some music lightly um God, it's hardly worth saying that we are are crushed by this world, that we are battered and bruised. Um, oh Lord, but but do not forsake us and, and keep us from evil. Lord, it's only through your abiding presence in our lives. Through, uh, through filling us, filling our, our need for relationship, filling up the empty places, filling up our loneliness, filling up our pain, bringing healing and hope. God, we are desperately in need of you. If you do not do this, then how can we resist? God, if, if you are not sufficient for us, then how can we stand in the face of our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of this broken world. 
we, we throw ourselves on you, begging and pleading for your mercy, begging and pleading for your forgiveness, begging and pleading that you would take away our sins and the effects of those sins, that weight that we carry, that burden and shame that drives us even and, and enslaves us more, Lord. God, we are trapped in a cycle of being sinners, and we need your freedom that is not of this world. That is not of ourselves. It is not of keeping rules. It is not of having a right understanding in our minds. It's not of of anything that we can do or say or think. But God, it is of you independent. Lord, Holy Spirit, have mercy and come. Be, Be the other who sets us free. The other who saves us. Without you, we are desperately wicked and broken and enslaved in our sin but with you there is freedom and hope and life and we beg you God that you would bring it right now in this place for for us, for me for Gordy oh Lord I just feel like the Lord just wants to gently wash over us just for just to wait in his presence just for a few minutes feel his tenderness his mercy we're all sexually broken so affects us each differently and and as Peter shared it's it's because of a relational brokenness it's all connected God doesn't take away our sexual desires so for the rest of our lives we'll have to deal with them as they come to us in different ways at different seasons of our life I'm more and more seeing them as a blessing I used to see them as an, en- an enemy to my discipleship and constantly fighting but the judo principle is really really important I think just drives me to my knees, on my face, puts me on my face, puts me at the feet of Jesus. I recognize how much I need him and yet how much he loves me. There's no shame. His presence, he doesn't shame us. He comes with grace and mercy. He was so tender to the sexually broken in his life and ministry. There's no reason to believe he's any different. Maybe you suffer same-sex orientation, or maybe you don't see it as suffering. It's just just part of your life. I I just feel that our, our lesbian and gay brothers and sisters that are hungry for Jesus need to also know there is a place in the family, the passion I have. I don't know what that looks like. We're struggling with that in the church universal right now. It's wrestling with stuff. But I believe that God just wants to open his arms of embrace and teach us his ways. Just 
live with mystery, live with ambiguity sometimes. Live with a sense that it's already but not yet. Just that tension. So wherever you are, wherever you've come from, whatever you're facing today, receive the embrace of the Father. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. For all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Father, would you give us the love of the Father, that thing we long for and search for? So we're just going to sing a song of worship, and I'm just as we sing, I just want just to let the Lord just wash over us, wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through. I love Living Waters. They're offering a course right now called Falling Forward. It's beautiful. Falling Forward. That's our community. This is a place you can fall. But it's always forward. Always forward. May feel like backwards sometimes. Maybe just uh, prepare to sing a song with us. Ross. So with lust... When we fight it, there's something else that comes with it, and that's shame and guilt. I just want to give you guys a little encouragement here. That, place, that shame and guilt has no place in your heart. Lust is going to take you down, and it's going to try to pull you down, and it's going to try to tell you that you're not worth the fight, that you're not holy, that you're not righteous, that you have no place in God's kingdom. Well, let me tell you, that's, not, that's a lie. So if you are dealing with lust or any issues of the sins, let me encourage you that there's a truth that there's no pay, greater power than that of, of God, of Christ. And that when you are suffering and you are feeling the shame and the pride and you deal with it, the thing to focus on the most is the truth and that there's freedom and it's precious, it's free. And if you keep focusing on that, I guarantee you, God, Christ, will not let you down and you will overcome. Thank you, Ross. Awesome. Thank you, Ross. The friend of the weak, you wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in to be like you, Jesus, you have this heart in me, you are the God of the humble, you are the humble King, oh, kneel me down again.
Following up on the Word of God, teaching times with prayer, because often the Holy Spirit is working and we don't like to rush. So if you're here and you need prayer, we encourage you to do one of two things. Either just come and sit or stand near the front, and someone will come and pray with you from either Strathcona or from our church. and um, Or just turn to somebody, a friend that you trust, that you'd like to ask to pray for you. I, I asked three questions on the back of the bulletin. I'd encourage you, either in your small groups, which are kind of informal with VEV this summer, for some of them, or uh, with some friends, just to discuss or to think about in your own journaling and reflection. Just some questions to reflect on uh, based on what uh, you've you've heard today. Um, And I encourage you to do what Jesus said in John 20 when he said, Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And sometimes I've just needed a, a brother or sister, sometimes just to declare to me, Gordy, your sins are forgiven. So I encourage you in the name of Jesus to, as, as you pray for one another, as you open up to one another, to, to release that. You're authorized in the name of Jesus to release that forgiveness. We want to pray for Terry Ann, who's leaving for Haiti this week for a few weeks. Where are you, Terry Ann? Are you still here? Come on up here, Terry Ann. We're going to gather around you and bless you to go. Just encourage some folks to gather around her to pray for her. And in a couple minutes, Joanna's going to just make an announcement about some point people with regards to matching Strathcona uh, people who want to serve and help uh, with others. Uh, So we'll do that in a couple minutes. I just want to thank our brothers. Uh, my husband is also my brother. I want to thank Gordy, and I want to thank Ross, because we know Ross's journey. I want to thank this great guy right here, Peter. I haven't forgotten his name. It's, I'm in the menopause, but I'm not that advanced. And I just believe that these brothers have opened the door for the spirit of truth. And we need the spirit of truth. And I was on the street this week and I bumped into a woman. She cannot come. She finds it so difficult to even be with more than two or three people because she's recovering from serious sexual abuse. And when we have our brothers standing up like this and giving us a spirit of truth and sharing openly, that gives us the courage and the strength to find one or two others. So I just, as Gordy's partner and as his friend, and his sister, I just want to thank you, Peter, particularly for how you've opened the door for us and how you've modeled 
accountability, Gordy. And I just feel like God wants us to really pursue this accountability. I've had this really powerfully, and then the last little while I've kind of let it lapse. And I'm very convicted about finding one or two other key women to really be accountable with in other areas, not just about sexuality. But So I just believe that God wants to reinforce this. So we need to have one or two accountable partners. We can be, even be in a home group and still not be really open and sharing. So I want to, I particularly really honor you, Peter, for sharing today, and I want to thank you.